0: Daniel chapter 5 we've been in a series on the book of Daniel um, and uh, we're going to just I'll just go ahead and have you stand we'll, we'll read beginning in verse 17 I'll give you some background of the story um, as we go along here Daniel chapter 5 verse 17 this is after this vision of a giant hand appearing in the middle of the room and drawing on the wall writing on the wall and it, it scares the king to death. And he's trying to figure out what it says. His wise men can't help him. So he calls Daniel on the, on the queen's recommendation. And this is Daniel then coming in to answer the, the king and tell him what the writing means. And sometimes you get a call and you get some good news. Sometimes you get a call and it's neutral news. Sometimes you get a call and it's really, really bad news. And this is really bad news for the king. Look at verse 17. It says, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father's kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. So he starts giving him some history, and he's talking about What I believe is probably his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He calls him his father because he, you know, came from Nebuchadnezzar. But he says, God gave your your grandfather or your father, Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom, majesty, honor, and, and glory. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations and languages, trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. That's a lot of power. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed or brought down from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts. We talked about this a few weeks ago. His dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, Till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that He appointeth over it whomsoever He will. And thou, his son, Obelshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Don't forget that phrase. You didn't humble yourself, even though you knew what Nebuchadnezzar went went through but has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold or brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him and this writing was written. So this is God. He's, this is God's writing. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balance and art found wanting. Perez, which is the root word for Eupharsin, the word that we saw earlier, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius... The median took the kingdom being about threescore and two years old. And tonight I'm just titling the message this, Those Who Ignore History. Now, maybe you've heard that phrase. I'm going to let you finish it. Those who ignore history are... Okay, it's different variations. You could be doomed to repeat it, destined to repeat it, bound to repeat it. But the truth is the same. If you ignore history... You're destined to repeat it. And we have here an example of a man who ignored history. And judgment was repeated, but the judgment didn't stop at Nebuchadnezzar's judgment. It went beyond Nebuchadnezzar's judgment. And I want to see why tonight. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we need you and I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Bless our time. Would your Holy Spirit then work? I don't don't want to be um, a hindrance here. And I just pray that you'd help me to convey this in a way that really does bring honor to you and that really points to you doing the work in our lives. Lord, we need you to do the work. Holy, we need the Holy Spirit to really illuminate this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So just as a reminder, as we come into this story, the enemy is at the gates. The Medo-Persian army um, is, is literally has Babylon surrounded. They... They're about to conquer the city, and, and for some reason, Belshazzar's so confident in the walls around the city that he says, they're not, they can't touch us. So he throws a Babylonian bash. Instead of preparing for battle, he throws a party. He invites uh, thousands of partiers to come and engage and have a great time in their minds of drunkenness and debauchery and immorality And to top it off, on top of all that, Belshazzar defiantly takes the holy vessels that Babylon had taken from the Jerusalem temple. Uh, These were vessels that were used in the worship of Jehovah. And he says, hey, go get the vessels that we took out of Jerusalem. They bring in the vessels to the party and they literally drink alcohol out of those holy vessels right there in the party. Then they toast to false gods with those vessels. I mean, they basically are saying the God of these vessels wasn't strong enough to protect them from us. We're at the top of the food chain, boys, so drink up. That's the mentality that Belshazzar has. And God's big hand of judgment, though, doesn't leave him to himself. It shows up pretty quick. Look at verse 5 of our, of our chapter, Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. So while they're partying and they're having this, this big time, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So they're having a party. They're drinking alcohol out of the temple vessels. There's debauchery and wickedness going on all around them. And suddenly, out of nowhere, it seems, this giant hand appears and starts writing on the wall where a candle is lighting the wall so they can, everyone can see what's happening. And, and suddenly, the, the energy is just sucked out of the room. It's amazing how quickly a room can change. You know, the party's going strong. There's lots of revelry. There's drinking. There's immorality. They're, they're doing what they perceive. They're having a grand time. In their minds and this bodiless hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. And the sound in the room immediately stops. Have you ever been in a situation like that where everyone's having a great time? I'm not even talking about doing anything wrong. We're having a great time. And suddenly someone breaks mom's lamp and the party's over. Or, Or someone breaks the TV, party's over. Okay. Some of these may be personal examples here. Or someone gets hurt. I, I know a, a guy I worked with on staff there in Oklahoma uh, at the church there, uh, they were having this big, this big uh, party in the dorms. And I say party, they were, it was what guys do when there's a party. They were having this, uh, this, this thing where you had to try to run down the hallway and you had to get past everybody. And, 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 you know, so everyone's trying to stop him. he's running as hard as he can down the hallway and he, and he slips and hits his head on the door jamb. And just split his head wide open. I mean, dozens of stitches on his head. And, uh, but I, I talked to guys uh, that were on the floor above it. They hear all the ruckus and everyone's having a grand time. And suddenly, silence. Because they knew in that moment, then they, the party can't continue. And that's exactly what happens here. Can you imagine? Everyone's having a grand time. And then suddenly a disembodied hand... Appears out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. And it's not a dream, although they were intoxicated. Um, Nebuchadnezzar knows that this is, this is actually happening. Something is going on. These fingers appear. And in that moment, I believe he recognizes, I really believe in that moment, he knows that he's been caught. He knows that the God who he just uh, irreverently defied has showed up on the scene. I mean, just a moment ago, Belshazzar is reveling in his own greatness. And, and he's saying, they're never going to break through our massive walls. They're never going to get inside this city. The Medes and the Persians, they're nothing. This is it. We are unconquerable. And then a bodiless hand shows up and reminds them, actually, you are very small. You're not as big as you think. And, and then the fact that it was written on the walls of the palace sends a message. And i just in reading this week. Some historians will say that the walls of a palace like the ones in Babylon will, will contain the exploits of the king. Uh, they'll write the exploits of the king on the wall so the king can sit on his throne in his palace and just read about oh look what we did here remember this look what I did here remember this and and I don't know exactly how all of that worked but if the custom was to write all, all of his exploits on the wall so he could read them and he's reading his own press clippings if you will just sitting there in his pride here he is reading his own press clippings when fingers appear and right over the top of his exploits and God is reminding him that everything you think you're doing that's so great, I'm bigger. Everything that you think that you've done in your own strength, you don't have strength like I do. Uh, I, you cannot hold a candle to my power. And he realizes in that moment, he's not at the top of the food chain. And he's so scared, the Bible says, and it's almost humorous. And we know that it's judgment. I don't want to make... Light of judgment. But the color leaves his face. The, the strength leaves his hips and his knees. He falls over. His knees are knocking together like a cartoon. And suddenly the man who thought he was the goat is like one of the, those fainting goats we were talking about. I mean, he, he thinks he's the greatest of all time only to be reminded he's not. And he's so full, full of himself. Now, I mean, just a few moments before he's defying God. And, and yet now we see him crying out like a child begging for wise men to come and interpret the message and this is the same man who threw a party in the face of the enemy and one moment in the in the in the presence of god reminds him how small he is this is the man that one secular scholar described as impious which means immoral and wicked and he was such a cruel man that once he went hunting and and with his his party his noblemen that were with him one of the men in his party shot and killed the game before he did so he had him killed right there on the spot that's the kind hunters y'all are crazy by the way it's a big deal no here he is that's the kind of man he is he's that wicked he's that cruel and he's he's selfish he's a cruel leader he hates God and yet he's just been reminded there's only one most high It's the same message Nebuchadnezzar learned decades before, a lesson his grandfather or father Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way back in Daniel 2. And now it's his turn and and we're going to see if it works for him or what happens to him compared to Nebuchadnezzar. So he calls his wise men and they come and they can't help. Of course, we talked about that on Wednesday. And, and the queen then, she hears what's going on. She knows there's writing on the wall. The giant hand has appeared. She knows the wise men can't help the king. So she goes to the king and she says, king, I know a guy. There's an old man named Daniel, this old Jewish man named Daniel, and maybe you remember him. But but decades ago, he would interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He has incredible discernment and wisdom. He can say the hard things. He can dissolve doubts. And the queen says, that's the guy you need. So he calls Daniel, and Daniel, uh, after all these years, he has this testimony of a consistent spirit and a consistent stand. That's what we talked about on Wednesday. And it allows him to have influence. Listen, he wasn't at the party. You don't have to be at the party to make a difference. You know, you don't have to be right in the middle. No, if we will stand with the right spirit... And take a stand for God where we are. When they need us, when, when those who are, who are lost, when they need an answer, they'll think of you. And they'll say, they have something different than what I have. I'm not saying that, that you don't communicate, that you're not friendly. I'm just saying you don't have to be just like them in order to influence them. And it may come when you least expect it, but God rewards the faithful. And here's Daniel. I love the fact that he's not afraid to speak the truth. Look at verse 14, but I have even heard, this is Nebuchadnezzar, I've even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light, and I'm sorry, this is Belshazzar, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee, and now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Known, um, now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be third ruler in the kingdom. And can't you imagine Belshazzar like, this is a hefty offer I'm making you right here. Belshazzar says, I'll, make, I'll give you riches, I'll give you honor, I'll give you power. And who wouldn't want that except Daniel? Daniel. He's not a dummy, and he knows that the Medes and Persians are outside the walls, and he knows how foolish this king has been. He recognizes the empty promises that are made. Babylon is about to be lost, and and there are times the world will make you promises, but those promises are temporary. They will not satisfy. They do not last. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And you can live your life for the things that you see and it's only temporary, or you can live your life and invest in the eternal things and have eternal rewards. The choice is up to you. Daniel was not swayed by the temporal. He even tells the king, he says, give your gifts to somebody else. I don't really care about those gifts. I'm, go- I'm just going to speak the truth. And here's the truth he speaks, verse 18, "O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty and glory and honor." He doesn't start with Belshazzar, he starts with Nebuchadnezzar, And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations and languages trembled and trembled and feared before him whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom He would he put down. And Daniel is, in many ways, looking back on Daniel chapter 4, and you remember the giant cosmic tree we talked about? I mean, um, not cosmic brownie, some of you are thinking about food tonight no the cosmic tree in Daniel 4 the king had a dream and and this giant tree appears out of nowhere and it's huge and strong and its branches are big and it's got all kinds of fruit to feed the the animals and 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 it was planted there and and helping everyone around it and this tree is doing its job but remember the message though that Daniel gave the message was this that tree didn't get there on its own That tree didn't plant itself, that tree didn't water itself, that tree didn't give itself the nutrients that it needed from the soil, and the point of Daniel 4 was this, no tree ever grew on its own. So even though Nebuchadnezzar had all of this power and he could do whatever he wanted, uh, he owed anything he had to a merciful God. The only reason Nebuchadnezzar was anything is because God blessed him with it. In verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed or brought down from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And that's when he talks about how Nebuchadnezzar was thrown into the wilderness like an ox. He lived like an animal for seven years. He ate the grass and it says in verse 21, it says, "Um, they fed him with grass like oxen. You know what that means? It's almost like the king is out there and he looks like an ox. He's lost his mind and his own people are taking hay and throwing it over the fence to the king. That's how low he got. For seven years, he ate grass and, he, and his nails grew and his hair grew. And it was like he was an animal. And without God's help, Nebuchadnezzar was being reminded that he's nothing. And he suffered God's judgment for it. And look what Daniel tells Belshazzar here. Verse 22. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. He, he, Daniel tells him, you know this. You know Uh, You know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, You know what the Most High did when Nebuchadnezzar got full of pride. You know. Uh, You know that the most powerful man in the world can't hold a candle to God. You know this. And actually, Belshazzar probably watched Nebuchadnezzar go through this. He's not a young man at this point. He's older. He saw Nebuchadnezzar have success He watched him get lifted up in pride, and he very likely heard what God, or or at least at the very least, he heard what God does to people when they get lifted up in their pride. I believe he watched it happen, though. And in my mind, he watched Nebuchadnezzar seven years in the wilderness. How humiliating, how embarrassing. And you would think that, that Belshazzar would have learned like when you defy God, when you shake your finger in his face, that's what happens. Why would you go down that path? That's, that's what Daniel's saying to him. And we can almost give Nebuchadnezzar a pass. You know, you think about it, he's a pagan king. Uh, he had not grown up with any examples of what it's like to live for God. He didn't know about Jehovah till Daniel and his friends showed up. So we can almost understand how Nebuchadnezzar would be full of pride. We can almost understand how Nebuchadnezzar would take credit for his victories and and think he's where he's at because of his own power. You can almost give Nebuchadnezzar a little grace, right? Because he's a first generation guy. He had to go through those seven years of misery to see that there's really only one most high and and we would do better to submit to him. Uh, Seven years eating grass, that's a great teacher. At least it should be. Because Belshazzar watched it. At the very least, Belshazzar knew. And he didn't care. Daniel says, thou knewest all this. Basically, the idea is you knew this and you won't humble yourself. You knew this and yet you've lifted yourself up above God. You knew this, but you defiled those temple vessels. You knew this and he says, but you drank wine out of them, he says. You knew this, but you praised gods who've never done anything and have no power. They can't even speak. You knew this and you toasted those false gods in those vessels. Not only that, king, but the only reason you're alive, he says in verse 23, the only reason you're alive is because the God in whose hand thy breath is. The only reason you're alive is because God lets you be alive. The only reason you have breath is because God lets you have breath and and you took all this glory on yourself and the worst part about it Belshazzar the worst part about it is this you knew you knew you knew that God is the most high you knew what he does to those that lift themselves up in pride. You knew that he punishes those who refuse to give him glory. You watched Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the shame. You, maybe he was one that was throwing the hay over the fence. He saw it. He knew it. You know what God's capable of. No one else deserves the glory that God deserves. You knew all of this and you still went your way. I, I mean, I don't know if Daniel said it like that, but that's how a preacher says it. You knew. You knew. And then he gives the interpretation. Mene, mene, tekel, eupharsin. Those are three coins. Mene is of 50 or 60 shekels. Tekel represents one shekel. Eupharsin is a shekel divided. It's a half shekel. And if you think about it, then it's it's getting, it's going from larger to smaller. Mene, mene, tekel, eupharsin. Almost like a countdown. There's a countdown timer in God's word. You know, 60, then one, then a half. Mene means numbered. Mene, Mene. Numbered, numbered. Tekel means weighed. Eupharson means divided. So it literally means numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. He explains it all. Numbered means that God has numbered your days, Belshazzar. He has numbered the, the length of your kingdom. And actually, the hourglass, the sand is almost up. Your, your, your number's up tonight. Mene Mene numbered numbered to uh, means that you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And Belshazzar had been weighed in God's balance. He'd been evaluated by God and was found lacking. A balance was how they paid for things. It's a device they used to make payments. If someone came to pay for a service or a product, they would put their gold. It wouldn't be uh, how many coins. It would be the weight of those coins. They would put it on a balance, and if it wasn't enough, they were found wanting. They had to put more money on the balance. Where well, here's Belshazzar, and he's been weighed by God. Uh, his, his moral character's been weighed by God, and he comes up short. His spiritual character's been weighed by God, and he comes up short. So numbered, numbered, your days are numbered, your kingdom's numbered, uh, then, then weighed, you've been weighed in God's, uh, uh, in God's balances, you're found wanting, and then eupharsen means divided. And divided means that God's going to take your kingdom and divide it among the Medes and the Persians. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Here's Belshazzar hearing some really bad news. The interpretation is clear. Belshazzar has no reason to doubt what Daniel is saying. He believes what he's saying. And he believes it immediately. He says, okay, I mean, I believe this. So they take a scarlet robe and they put it on Daniel. Then they take a gold chain and they put it around his neck. They proclaim him third in command. And none of it matters. Because just a few hours later... That night, the enemy breaches the city. They kill Belshazzar. The Medes and the Persians had dug a canal. The the Euphrates River ran right through the middle of Babylon. They had diverted the river somewhere else. And then when the water dropped, they went in under the gates. And they took the city without a fight. Well, you talk about connecting the consequences to actions. God did it immediately. Suddenly, severely. Severely. When they took those vessels and defiled those vessels and defied God. God allowed his judgment to come severely and suddenly. And you say okay well what's our takeaway because I'm not a king and I don't see how this applies to me. Well we have to go back to the phrase thou knewest. You knew this he says. And we might ask, well, why was God so sudden and severe in His judgment? And why did He give Belshazzar? Why didn't He give Belshazzar seven years? He gave He gave Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar seven years. Well, here is why: because Belshazzar knew. Belshazzar knew, and he still disobeyed. See, they, those that ignore history are destined to repeat it. And we're watching it happen right here in this account. Belshazzar knew, he'd seen what happens when you lift yourself up above the Lord. He knew the history and he repeated it anyway. He ignored what took place in Nebuchadnezzar's life and he thought he would be the exception. But listen, it was a repeat of severe judgment because he ignored what he knew. This is why it's so foolish for our country even right now. I think about what's going on here and how we want to erase history books or rewrite history books or erase history. And I don't know that we realize if we ignore history, if we forget history, then we are destined to repeat it. We need to be reminded of the mistakes we've made so we don't make them again. Human nature has a way of ignoring the past and we find ourselves repeating the same mistakes If we remove reality from history books and reframe the past, we'll just make the same errors we've already made and likely make them worse because those who ignore history are destined to repeat it and God doesn't take Belshazzar's actions lightly. You see, listen, I want you to catch the thought flow here. It's one thing to sin in ignorance and in many ways, that was what Nebuchadnezzar did. He sinned in ignorance. He was a first generation, I'm going to use this loosely, a first generation Christian. And you say, well, I don't know if he was ever, if he ever placed his faith in God. Well, there, it seems like there are reasons to believe Nebuchadnezzar had genuine faith in God. So I think it's fair to say first generation Christian nebuchadnezzar had faith he he appeared to place his faith in god he believed what god said and he followed it at the end of that that seven years and his punishment for pride listen okay don't get lost here his punishment for pride was seven years in the wilderness and that's really bad but it's not as bad as losing an empire and it's not as bad as being killed by your enemies And you might say, well, why was Belshazzar's punishment worse than Nebuchadnezzar's friend? Because he knew. He knew what kind of judgment God meets out. He knew what kind of judgment God is capable of. And he didn't care. And here's the thought. The judgment of a second generation that disobeys is worse because they know better. The judgment of a second generation that disobeys is worse because they know better. And I'm looking around this room. I see a room full of second generation Christians. Third generation, fourth generation. Some of us, it goes way back. And I'm so thankful for my heritage. Can I say that? I, but I need to know this and you need to know this. God's judgment is more sudden and severe when someone who knows chooses to disobey. Because those who ignore history are, and repeat it are a different kind of fool. It's called sinning against the knowledge of the truth. And Hebrews ten twenty six and 27 says, for if we sin willfully after that, we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. You know, that that says is there are those that sin in ignorance and they have one level of judgment. There are those who sin against the knowledge of the truth that you've heard and you know it. There's a different level of judgment. You know, those verses are right after Hebrews 10, 25, which says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day, uh, exhorting one one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, Hebrews 10 is written to people that knew. It's written to people that had the knowledge and, and they could have been assembling, but they were forsaking that assembling. And in forsaking that assembling, they were forgetting the past. They were forgetting what they had heard. And Nebuchadnezzar, listen, understand the parallel. Nebuchadnezzar had given Belshazzar everything he needed to know. You say, well, I mean, how do we know that? Well, remember Daniel 4.37. Look up at it. Look at it. Daniel 4.37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, look. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, capital K, God, all whose works are truth and His ways judgment and those that walk in pride. He is able to abase. So we can give excuses for Belshazzar all we want to but he had everything he needed to know he watched Nebuchadnezzar go through the 7 years of judgment and when Nebuchadnezzar came out of it he said listen i'm going to i'm going to make a statement here i extol and praise the king of heaven his ways are good all that but listen and if you're full of pride he knows how to abase you and that means that Belshazzar had the truth he had the words He knew what was right. He knew what would put him in God's crosshairs of judgment. He knew all of those things. He knew it, but he just didn't care. And tonight, the parallel I think is obvious. Is there an area of our lives in which we are ignoring the truth? That we are sinning against the truth that God has given us in his word. What sin have you allowed to continue ...that you know is wrong. You say, well, I, I can't believe we're talking about sin... ...on a Sunday night. We're the sanctified saints. We don't need this. Well, Brother Ken started it. Hit the title of a song is, What Sin? It's his fault, you know? Now listen. We all are in danger of judgment... ...if we know and we continue to sin. And kids... Look at the kids, all the kids look at me. You know, you know this because you've been in church. You know that lying to your parents is wrong. Lying to your parents is wrong. But you've been doing it. And I just want to remind you that the judgment of a second generation is worse. Because you know. To our young people... You know that honoring, that dishonoring your parents is a sin against God. But you've been ignoring that and you haven't been honoring your parents. Let me remind you, the judgment of a second generation is worse because you know. Christian, you know anger is wrong. But we ignore the warnings and we just live in anger. Can I remind you the judgment of a second generation... Basically, when I say second generation, you say, well, I'm not a second generation Christian, but you know. And you know that living in anger is wrong, but you continue there. And the judgment of a second generation is worse because you know. Christian, you know that bitterness is wrong and, and, and to live there and to not forgive, but you've ignored the warnings. Why? Because of the, the judgment of a second generation is worse because you know. You know that corrupt communication is ungodly, but we continue to use it and say it. We imagine that God just doesn't hear it, and it's not a big deal. But listen, I'm sorry, but if you've heard the word of God, then you are accountable to the word of God. And the the judgment of a second generation is worse because you know. You know that, uh, I mean, the applications go on. I could make plenty, but the point is the same. If you have heard, you know And if you've seen the effects of sin in others and watched them go through it, then you know. And if you've heard the warnings from God's word and you still ignore it, you know. But don't be surprised when his judgment is severe and sudden. He gives opportunities to repent. Like here's the hope, though. He gives opportunities to repent. But if you ignore it long enough, be prepared for severe and sudden judgment. I'm afraid that too many of us second and I'm pointing at myself tonight this is a message for this second third generation Christian I'm afraid that too many of us second and third generation Christians who know have overlooked the dangers of ignoring God's warning signs when your sin when you sin having knowledge of the truth God will number our days like he did Belshazzar Meaning this, don't be surprised if his mercy at some point comes to an end and we have to deal with some judgment. Now, what kind of judgment? You say, well, that, you're just preaching to scare us. No, I'm just I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Belshazzar faced judgment because he ignored God's mercy for long enough. And I don't know. I'm not saying he's going to take us out. I don't know what God's judgment looks like. But you know what? I also don't want to find out. So why even put ourselves in that position? if we know let's get it right god numbers your days god holds you accountable just like he did mene mene to kill he's 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 weighed us and every day he weighs you it's like i mean i'm not literally weighs us Like a, no he weighs us though And and he sees us. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And we're going to answer for the works that we've done in these bodies for him. And you will answer to him. And I will answer to him. And you know what? If we lived our life knowing and not doing, we're going to be found wanting. I'm not saying that you won't go to heaven if you're a child of God. But I am saying that the rewards won't be nearly what they could have been. Because you knew and he didn't change. Those who walk in pride, he knows how to obeys. That's what the Bible says. Listen, tonight, if you came looking for an encouraging message, I just want to apologize. But this is a text about judgment, and it was next. And I'm assuming then because God knew we would all be here tonight, he knew this is what we needed. Listen, for those of us that know and still obey in some area of our lives or another, God's judgment can't be avoided. Don't ignore what you know. I, I want you to just, real, just think about the biggest mistake you've ever made. Think, I mean, don't tell me. I don't want to know. But think about the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life. The one that cost you the most. Just, you got it in your mind? He's like, well, there's so many of them. Okay, pick one. One that costs you. Maybe it still costs you. Um, How many of you, if you could go back and not make that mistake, how many of you would? Okay, I think probably. It's like, well, I learned from my mistakes. No, come on, don't be pious. Like, if we could, we would change it. So let's say you get the opportunity. And you have an opportunity to go back and change your biggest mistake, the one that that cost you the most in your life. And you go back. And in this situation, rather than change it, you do the same thing one more time. You know, we'd all say, what a fool. But do you realize that that's the message of Daniel 5? Is that he saw, he had warning signs. He saw Nebuchadnezzar go through it. He watched him deal with God's judgment. And Belshazzar had a chance... To change his direction and he didn't. Which means he's a different kind of fool. Listen tonight, if there's some sin in your life. I know sin's not popular to preach on. But I think that's what keeps us distinct as a church. Is that we're not going to run away from it when it's here. But if you've got some sin in your life that you know better. And you haven't made it right. Here's what I would recommend. Don't wait. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can get right tonight. Just get it right. Because God's hand of judgment can't be avoided. You have the word, you know. And to know and still disobey puts you on a new level of judgment. Now one thing I'm thankful of is that God's a God of mercy. And if we got what we deserved, none of us would even get to hear this message tonight. But he's also a God of righteousness and there will come a time that judgment comes swiftly if we ignore what we know long enough. So here's my encouraging message. Don't put off to tomorrow tomorrow, what you can get right tonight. Because the judgment of a second generation is worse because you know better. And those who ignore history and repeat it are a different kind of fool. Don't ignore history. And don't be a second, third generation that ignores what you know because the judgment is severe and sudden. We know more, we have to answer for more. That fits most of us in the room tonight. Listen, if there's something in your life that you know you need to get right and you've been putting it off, don't wait till God judges you to learn your lesson. Why don't you just repent? Make it right. And then imagine how much better your future is because you don't have to face God's judgment anymore in that area. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed.